Bible's ready. We're ready to get started here today. This being the uh, day of Pentecost, of course, the message is going to be about the Holy Spirit. The title is Gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself is a gift to us. And that's what we're going to talk about today, gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, Pastor Dave spoke to you on the ascension of Jesus to heaven. But I want to focus in, first of all, on something that Jesus said just before he ascended up to heaven. And we'll turn to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, and we'll ask God's help. Heavenly Father, as we open our Bibles now, let us never forget the tremendous blessing that you've given us of understanding. So help us as we read the scripture, make it a part of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Acts 1, beginning in verse 4, it says here, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Jesus speaking to the apostles, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So just before Jesus uh, ascended up to heaven, uh, he made this promise. So the apostles did remain in Jerusalem, and probably on this particular day, it was a special day in the city of Jerusalem because the Jews were celebrating uh, the Feast of Weeks, as it was called, the Feast of First Fruits, and there were thousands and thousands of people that had come from far making a pilgrimage on this day to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple as uh, they were commanded to do back in the Old Testament. So the town of Jerusalem was filled with people, overflowing with people. And as the apostles met in a building, in a room, and most think that this was probably the same room that the Last Supper took place in. So they had come back there and they were meeting together and uh, Notice in the, the passage that I just read, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as a gift, a gift that would be given to believers for salvation, a necessary gift. A gift, in this case, as in when somebody gives us a kind gift, it would be something that would benefit us and be absolutely necessary for us to have eternal life. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit the Father, through Jesus, sent the Holy Spirit to the church. So when it comes to salvation, we tend to focus first and foremost on the death of Jesus on the cross, and rightly so. But without the work of the Holy Spirit, salvation would not be possible. So let's read here in Acts chapter 2 now, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came 
together in bewilderment because each one, all of these foreigners, each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So as, as a result of this miracle, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The exact same filling of the Holy Spirit happens to you and me when we hear the gospel, when we repent of our sins and accept Jesus as our personal Savior. The exact same Holy Spirit comes to us just as the Spirit did to the apostles at this time. Now, these were all fantastic miracles. The rushing of wind, the tongues of fire, the speaking in languages. I don't want to, you know, put those down at all. They were important and necessary. But as we go on from here, one of the greatest of the miracles of the Holy Spirit on this day had to do, first and foremost, with the preaching of the gospel. Don't forget that, because all of a sudden, we're going to read how Peter now stands up and speaks in front of perhaps thousands of people. And what he talks about is the gospel. Acts 2, beginning in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, all the apostles together. Peter raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And what is he going to say to all of these people? Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So what is that? It's the gospel. 
So one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit did on this day, the day of Pentecost, once he filled all the apostles, was the preaching of the gospel. This message going out to all these thousands of people that had assembled together in Jerusalem for an Old Testament feast, Feast of the Jews, they're now hearing a message about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who he was, why he came, and what this is all about. So the Holy Spirit is the one who makes possible the preaching of the gospel. You know what? The Holy Spirit is here today. <laughs> he worked with me to prepare this message. Thank you, dear. He's working with the preaching of this word right now. He's working with all of you who are hearing this word. And he's making this message real to you. He's helping you to understand scripture. He's very active here today, just as he was on the day of Pentecost. And what is the preaching of the gospel? Well, it's the first step in being saved. All of these people who had never heard the gospel before, they're hearing it now. And it's having an effect on many of them. You know, God's word teaches us that salvation is a step-by-step -step process. And the first step in anyone being saved is hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. And you know what? That happened to each and every one of us. Maybe we can't figure the exact date or how it happened, but at some point in time in our earlier life, our past lives, I'm saying that wrong, earlier on in our life, we heard the gospel somehow. We heard somebody preaching the gospel, and it struck us somehow. You know, this is what Paul talks about. You can hold your place. We'll come back here, but I want to turn to Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. He talks about this process of salvation. And Paul says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, who asks for forgiveness, who asks Jesus to be their Savior. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So the preaching of the gospel, this is what the Holy Spirit makes possible. Okay? And he did it here on Pentecost, and he did it in each of our lives. The Holy Spirit was at work somehow. All of our experiences are not the same. But at some point in time, we heard the gospel, and for some reason, well, it was because of the Holy Spirit, it started to make sense to us. Let me ask you the question. Who gave Peter the courage to get up in front of a large crowd of strangers and speak? You know, it can be scary getting up in front of a large group of people and speaking. You know, uh, Mary and Penny, a couple weeks ago, did that. And you know what? The Holy Spirit empowered them to do that. And he gave them the message that they spoke to you. A beneficial message from the Bible. Amen. So, Peter was not really an outspoken person when it came to large crowds but the Holy Spirit gave him the wherewithal to do it. Who inspired Peter with just the right words to say to this particular audience? 
He didn't make it all up in his head. It was the Holy Spirit who gave him the, the words to say. Who provided the miracle whereby all of these foreigners could hear Peter in their own language? It was the Holy Spirit. He made it all possible for the gospel to be preached and to be heard. Tremendous miracles. So what I'm showing you today is the Holy Spirit's involvement in our salvation. And the first step in salvation is hearing the gospel. And look at all he did on this day and in each of our lives for us to hear it and to come to believe it. Now the second thing that the Holy Spirit does on the way to salvation is to convict us of our sins and to give us the need for repentance, to show us the need for repentance. That's step number two. First of all, you hear the gospel, but it's got to make sense to you, and you've got to be convicted to the point that you're ready to admit that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. Now, that's a miracle in and of itself, because there are a lot of people in, in this world who are very proud and they don't like to admit that they're a sinner because they think of themselves as a quote-unquote good person. And they compare themselves to others who they think are much worse than they are. And they say, well, compared to that guy, I think I'm okay. I'm pretty good. We could always find somebody worse than us, we think. A thief, a murderer, uh, whatever. But it's another thing to come to the point where we realize, yes, I am a sinner. And unless something happens to change my situation, I'm going to hell. People make jokes about that. I grew up with a friend, and I'd, his name was Larry, and I'd say, Larry, where are you going? He'd, he'd be getting in the car and ready to go, and he'd say, well, to hell if I don't change my ways. <laughs> that was his favorite reply. Where are you going? To hell if I don't change my ways. And it's a joke to a lot of people, you know? But it's true. It is actually true. The Holy Spirit needs to humble us to the point that we will admit that we are sinners and we're in a situation that we can't get out of and we need help. And help comes from God. Notice in uh, Acts 2, verse 37, we'll continue with this story on Pentecost. Peter preaches this powerful sermon with the help of the Holy Spirit. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That means they were emotionally struck by Peter's words. And notice their reply. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What will God have us do? We realize now that we're sinners and something has to happen to help us. And Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So after we hear the gospel, the second step in salvation is to realize that you're a sinner, that you need to repent, and you need a savior. And Jesus Christ is the one. We can't come up with that on our own. Somebody has to reveal that to us, and that's what the Holy Spirit did, and he continues to do. 
the gospel, they heard it, it went to their ears, it even entered their brain, they were understanding kind of what it's all about, but then that gospel message went straight to their heart or to the seat of their emotions. You see, the Holy Spirit convicted them in their hearts that they were sinners and that they needed a savior. Jesus talked about how the Holy Spirit would do that. I won't turn there, but John 16, verse eight. John 16, verse eight, he was talking about how the Holy Spirit would be sent. And this is what Jesus said, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did for all of these people, or at least for those who did repent. I don't know, some may still fight against it and reject it. That's what he did for all of us. Well, let's go ahead and turn there to John 16, verse 8 because we'll carry on there, John 16, verse 8. So Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and convict the world of sin, and we do need to be convicted of sin, because we place ourselves far above a lot of people, which we shouldn't do. You know, that was Job's problem, the problem of self-righteousness. Why is God picking on me? You know, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I offer sacrifices, Job said. I'm not as bad as some people are, and he just couldn't get it until the Holy Spirit humbled him. A third thing that is important in salvation, and it's a job of the Holy Spirit, and it's explained here in John 16, the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. And that's very important. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. There are a lot of people who have very strange ideas about God. First of all, is there a God? A lot of people don't believe in God. A lot of people have uh, ideas about other types of gods other than the true God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit God. They create, look what cultures did down throughout history, the Romans, the Greeks, all of these cultures, the Egyptians had a, a pantheon of gods a god of the river, a god of the sky, a god of the sun, a god of animals. That's what the uh, plagues were all about. All of the plagues that God sent to Egypt were attacks on their gods. Because to the Egyptians, the Nile River was a god. And of course, the water was turned to blood. You know, cows and even insects, you see scarabs, uh, when they open up Egyptian tombs, uh, people with rings that have bugs and insects on them, those were gods of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were attacked during the plagues by all of these gods that they worshipped. They were attacked with insects. They were, uh, you know, their cattle got diseases. And so people have strange ideas about God. The Holy Spirit has to guide us into truth about God. And that's what he does. John 16, beginning in verse 12. This is what Jesus says. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Jesus only had three and a half years to teach the apostles. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, that's how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears from the Father and the Son. He will tell you what is yet to come. And Jesus says, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So the Holy Spirit is the source of truth that we rely on. And truth is very important to us in the church. Throughout the history of the church, believers have had to walk through a minefield of false teachings and heresies that Satan has tried to spring up in the church over the centuries to confuse us, to divide us. So we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to keep us on the straight path, the path of truth. And you know, even today in the church, we're better off as Christians when we stick to the trunk of the tree doctrinally. You know, there are different ways of doing things, different customs that different churches have. You know, even between ourselves and Christian Life Church here, we've sat in on some of their services and there are certain things that they do differently than, than us. But if we all stick to the trunk of the tree, we're Christians, we believe that Jesus is our savior, that he died for us on the cross, he forgave our sins, we have the promise of eternal life now with him. If we stick to the trunk of the tree, we stay away from the minefield. But when we get away from the trunk of the tree onto the branches of the tree that people fall off of and branches break because they're very you know, tender and brittle out there, we get ourselves into trouble. And you know, when you see people disagreeing in the church, whether it's within a congregation or whether it's church to church, whatever the case may be, it's usually because we've wandered out onto the branches of the tree rather than sticking to the trunk of the tree. The trunk means the basic agreed upon doctrines, you know, orthodox doctrine. So we're better off when we stick to the trunk of the tree rather than being out on weak branches that break off and harm people by causing division. One of the reasons God founded the church on Pentecost was that there would be a never-ending succession of born-again, mature Christians who by their years of learning from those who came before them would be able to teach, correct, encourage those who are new or weak in the faith. This is all from the Holy Spirit. You know, even today, we can read our own Bibles and come up with some pretty goofy ideas. We need guidance. I know when I first came into the church as a young man, in my early 20s, I had a lot of questions. I read the scriptures and I didn't understand everything. But I always had people that I could go to, whether it was ministers, pastors, elders, longtime church members who have been around a long time, who have heard thousands upon thousands of sermons, who I know had the Holy Spirit, that I could go to and they can help me understand. And the church is the same way today. You know, if you have questions about what the Bible teaches or you know, anything you're confused about, come, <laughs> come to us. None of us are going to judge you and say, well, you don't understand that yet, what's the matter with you? Or criticize you in any way, we're gonna help you to understand. Clarify whatever it is that's confusing you, okay? That's a part of our job in the church. 
And who was it uh, Paul said to Timothy when he wrote to him in an epistle, uh, remember uh, the things that you have been taught and remember who taught them to you. Okay, so if I have a question about something in the Bible, I'm not going to go to somebody who just showed up for the first day at church. They've never been to church before. I'm going to go to a seasoned, maybe a, somebody with grayer hair. I know that they're, they're fully grounded Christians, and maybe if the pastor's busy, I can go and ask them, and they can straighten me out. And see, that's what the church is. It's God provides a place for us to go, for people who know the truth, who have lived the truth all their lives, that we can go to and, and be uh, encouraged and taught. So don't neglect the pastor. You know, we're here to help you. And maybe we'll give a sermon on the subject. Maybe other people are confused about that. And, you know, thanks for asking that question. I think maybe I'll give a sermon on it. So the church was founded on Pentecost so that there would always be people who know the truth through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in them. The Holy Spirit fills them. So we've seen three things that the Holy Spirit does leading us to salvation. Provides the gospel for us to hear. Uh, teaches us to be convicted of our sins and the need for a savior, Jesus Christ. He keeps us on the path of truth through our years in the church. And we need to be careful to stick to the trunk of the tree and not get, you know, I, I've had people come to me over the years and say, uh, Pastor John, I saw this guy on television who said, if I send in enough money, he's gonna send me a bottle of water from the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized, and if I put this on my boo-boos, they're gonna all go away, I'm gonna be healed, and uh, even my hair's gonna grow back, and is, th is this for real? Is, you know, should I do this? And you know, I'll take them aside and say, no, you know, there are some people who make merchandise of Christians to fill their own pockets, and this is not the way God works. He doesn't bless you through bottles of water from here or there, or, uh, you know, just kind of stay away from that. It's not for real. So people have all sorts of questions. A fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does for us on our path to salvation. Of course, we are already saved, but as we live out the remainder of our lives waiting for Jesus' second coming, the Holy Spirit seals us. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit seals us, and that's in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, so when you heard the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit seals us. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot of things going on in this world and beyond that we need to be sealed or protected from. Now, there's a lot of violence in this world, but you know, sometimes Christians even have to deal with something happening in their lives, their car is stolen or whatever. 
But there are even more powerful forces out to destroy us. Remember, uh, it was uh, Jesus Christ who, I think it was Peter that he was speaking to, said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, Satan and his cohorts are very powerful beings. And one of the things that they would like to do is destroy all Christians. This is spiritual warfare that is going on beyond the, you know, behind the scenes. It's very real. Spirit beings live in their own dimension that we can't see and and we don't uh, sense all the time. But Jesus warns us that there are forces out to destroy us. Why? Because we're followers of Jesus Christ. And they know who Jesus Christ is. So we need to be protected. And somehow the Holy Spirit is a seal marking us as God's children and protecting us from anything that Satan would like to do to us. That's why we as Christians should never get involved in uh, black arts or satanic things. And I kind of cringe when I know that maybe Christians are watching satanic movies or, or things like that. Just avoid that like the plague. We don't need to be seeking that sort of stuff in our lives. Stay away from it and we will be safe. We're being protected by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed. We're marked somehow as God's very children. And that makes us different in this world. We're marked by God identifying us as his own children and no enemy can take us out of God's hands. So this is another work of the Holy Spirit to protect us as we live out our lives heading for our eternal reward. So the Holy Spirit is very important to us. We should never take him for granted. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He puts the spotlight on Jesus. So that's his role. He kind of works behind the scenes in that regard. But he helps us to hear the gospel. He helps us to respond to the gospel. He guides us into all truth, and he seals us and protects us as God's own children. There are many other things we can talk about that the Holy Spirit does for us, but we'll, we'll stop there today. I wanted to say one more thing, though. There is one sin mentioned in the Bible that can never be forgiven. There's a lot of sins that we can commit, and they can all be forgiven except for one. It's known as the unpardonable sin. uh, Jesus talked about it in Mark chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. And this is what Jesus said. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. What's that all about? (laughs) A lot of people from time to time think that they've committed the unpardonable sin. But I can guarantee you that even if you ask that question, Have I committed the unpardonable sin? I really don't think that you've committed it. (laughs) 
Committing the unpardonable sin is blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. In other words, rejecting the Holy Spirit, rejecting that the Holy Spirit, all that the Holy Spirit is trying to do on your behalf. Now, what are some of the things that the Holy Spirit is trying to do on your behalf? To make a way for you to hear the gospel. Now, if you reject the gospel, that's not good. That's the first step to salvation, hearing the gospel. If you poo-poo the gospel and make fun of it and run away from it, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit because that's the first step of salvation for you. The second step we talked about is responding to the gospel, admitting that you're a sinner, repenting of your sins, and realizing you have a need for a savior, someone to save you from the death penalty. And Jesus is the one who has done that for us. If you reject the Holy Spirit trying to convict you of your sins, that's not good. If you're of the attitude that, well, I'm a good person, why do I need to repent? I'm not as bad as they are. And the third thing is that the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. If you reject the truth and want to come up with your own ideas about God and the afterlife or what kind of a life you should lead. And there are people today who claim to be Christians, but they lead whatever kind of life they want to. Things that go directly opposed to, to the Bible. And if you reject the sealing of the Holy Spirit, hey, you're open game for any demonic being who might want to take it out on you. So when you resist the Holy Spirit, when you reject the Holy Spirit and what he's trying to do in your life, you're rejecting your salvation. You reject the gospel, there's no way you're going to be saved. If you reject uh, repenting, repenting and being convicted of your sin, you're not saved. Rejecting uh, the truth, rejecting the Holy Spirit trying to seal you, as, as protecting you as, as God's children, rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, in other words, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and the things that he's trying to do in your life for your salvation is to reject the only hope you have. So if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit by rejecting all these things he's trying to do to you, you're doomed. You're doomed. You're not saved. You don't have eternal life with God. And uh, you're an open target for Satan. So, in other words, why is blaspheming the Holy Spirit a sin that cannot be forgiven because you have chosen not to be saved and not to be forgiven of your sins because you think you know more than everybody else, even God. So it's very dangerous territory to be in. And that's why Jesus said, all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven because you haven't repented. And how can God forgive you if you haven't repented and accepted Jesus as your Savior? And Jesus offers to take your place. He's taken all your sin upon you. 
If you don't acknowledge that, and that his death on the cross has paid the penalty for your sins, you're not saved. You're guilty of an eternal sin. So God has rolled up the carpet for us. He's made all of this possible. But if we're going to be uh, stiff-necked and thick-headed and reject all that he's done for us, we're not saved. It's a very real thing. So that just gives us a glimpse of the importance, the vital importance of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. And we need to be thankful. Uh, We talk about the Father a lot. We talk about Jesus a lot, and rightly so. But don't forget the role that the Holy Spirit was sent to play in our lives. And he doesn't draw attention to himself. He points us to Jesus. And Jesus points us to the Father. So that's our triune God and the way they operate. And we give thanks for it. So we're going to have communion now.